You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Turn in your wood, uh, 2 Peter. Again, we'll be in 2 Peter. And again, I'll just read through the first 11 verses just so that we can get this engrafted into our hearts as we go through it this month in Sunday school class. Verse 1, 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. Verse 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I do pray that you would just keep my voice strong, Lord, this morning, that it can last through this lesson, Lord, that you prepare for us. Father, I pray that we receive from your word those things that we need, Lord, those things that we need to put into our life so that we can produce that spiritual fruit that you desire for us, Lord, so that we can be glory and honor to your name. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So last week, we talked about the first two things that we needed to add to our faith as he, given to us here in 2 Peter chapter 1. And that was, we talked about virtue, defined by moral purity, defined by right thinking, and also defined by manliness and valor. So that aspect of virtue that is so uh, absent from a lot of our thinking and a lot of, you know, there's just people in the world, especially in America, we've lost that sense of virtue, of having that moral excellence, or even desiring to live a morally excellent life. And then added to virtue, we had knowledge, which was having the fear of God, having the wisdom to knew, know what is right and what is wrong to do. You know, so many people in this world don't even know the difference between right and wrong. We, as Christians, sometimes don't know the difference between right and wrong, and we can see that pervasive in the church of America today, where so much of the church is kind of wish-washy on what is right and what is wrong, and that's not having this knowledge added to our virtue or our moral excellence. So the next three areas we're going to discuss today, the next investments that we need to have in our spiritual portfolio in order to bring forth fruit unto the Lord is found in verse 6. And I'm going to read verse 5 first. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Remember, we need to give all diligence to this. This doesn't just happen on its own. We need to give all diligence. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. 
to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. So today, we're going to talk about temperance, patience, and godliness as given to us here in verse 6 of 2 Peter chapter 1. These three areas really all go hand in hand in this verse. They all go hand in hand, temperance, patience, godliness. And we're going to take them in the order that Peter tells us we need to add them to. He says, add to your knowledge, temperance, to your temperance, patience, and to your patience, godliness. So what is temperance? Temperance, literally defined as self-control. Self-control. One who has the virtue of mastering his own desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. That is someone who has self-control. Someone who has mastered his own personal desires, his own personal appetites, and given them over to the control of the Holy Spirit. That would be self-control. You know, we live in a world that has no self-control, that has no, no temperance. I mean, you look around you, everybody is driven, everybody is guided, for the most part, in the world, by their desires their own sensual appetites, whatever would make them feel good, that is what they are going to do. Whether or not the causes are destructive, whether or not bad things happen to other people, whatever makes me feel good, I'm going to do it. That is a lack of self-control. And not only does the world have this lack of temperance, lack of self-control, we are encouraged every day to give in to our own fleshly desires, to have that lack of self-control as well so that we can go along with the world. So I'm going to ask us, have we completely mastered or have we completely allowed the Holy Spirit to master and conquer our desires, our passions, our appetites? Have we brought them under His control? Have we given over our desires to the Holy Spirit so we can have that true definition of self-control? Now, a lot of us, we can control what we do, you know, sometimes through the flesh. But, unless we, but in order to really live a fruitful Christian life, to invest for eternal fruit, we're going to have to allow the Holy Spirit to give us temperance. You know, a lot of what you see today around in the world is, you know, I just want to be free. I just want to be free to do what I want to do and to do all these things. And remember 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. It tells us, while they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought in bondage. Lack of temperance, lack of self-control brings bondage. Temperance is one of the fruit of the Spirit that we find listed in Galatians chapter 5. You know, another aspect of temperance that we find in Acts chapter 24 is that when the Apostle Paul is standing before Felix and explaining to him why he is brought before him, why he is being persecuted by the Jews, why he has even been thrown in prison in the first place. It says in verse 25 of Acts chapter 24, And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for this time, when I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. So one of the aspects that the Apostle Paul used in witnessing to Felix and explaining to him the gospel was this aspect of temperance, this aspect of self-control. In other words, you know, there is a right and a wrong thing to do. You need to be given over to the Holy Spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to do what's right through our lives. And when he reasoned of righteousness, the right thing to do, and then temperance, having that self-control to not do the wrong thing, to do the right thing, and then the judgment for those who don't do what is right, that brought conviction to Felix, and Felix essentially brushed Apostle Paul off 
and, and didn't want to hear anymore because of the conviction that he was under. You know, I, I believe self-control is probably something that we struggle with or we lack in a lot of our lives. Do we spend our money according to our passions and desires? Or do we spend it um, as God's stewards? Do we understand that we are only stewards of God's money? Or do we have a lack of self-control in how we spend our money? When it comes to pleasing our flesh and doing entertainment or other activities, do we only do these things thinking of ourselves in mind and not others or not the Lord? Do we only please and pleasure ourselves? Are we able to resist that temptation to please and pleasure ourselves? Or are we able to have self-control in those areas, especially in how much we spend in our entertainment? Another area of self-control, and this is giving control over to the Holy Spirit, is how much, and this is what Pastor preached on last week as well, how much of what we make do we spend on ourselves as opposed to how much we give to the Lord? How tightly do we hold on to our money for our own personal pleasure as opposed to allowing the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us as he would have us to give? So that's one area of self-control. Another area of self-control would be our attitudes and our emotions. How easily do we get upset when others attack us? Or how easily do we get upset when adversity comes into our life? When we have hard times, when we have struggles, how do we respond to those difficult situations in life? That tells us how we are doing in our investment and self-control when we don't respond correctly. When we don't respond correctly, it's obvious to us that we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to have control in our life, that we don't have that temperance that we need. How about in our conversation? How, is our tongue able to be controlled or is our filter broken? Are we unable to filter out those things that we shouldn't say? You know, maybe we think, but we shouldn't say. Are we able to do that, or we, do we lack temperance in the area of our tongue? How about in the area of our fleshly desires? Are we able to resist? You know, pornography is big in the world. Are we able to resist that, or even sensual reading material? How about any habit that we have, such as maybe drugs or alcohol, or, you know, maybe even sexual sins or adultery, something like that, are we able to resist this? Are we able to have that temperance in that area? You know, these are areas that the world, they think nothing of having temperance in these areas. Why should they? They don't understand the judgment that is to come by doing these wicked things. But we as believers, we need to understand that. And we should have that knowledge that if we are not living a life of self-control, we are not laying up that eternal fruit that the Lord desires for us to have. Lack of temperance, lack of self-control in this life has brought destruction to many Christians. And we've seen it all around us. We've seen pastors, you know, that have fallen in this area of self-control. That We have seen other believers just, just not take the time, not take the diligence to get in touch with the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit to guide and direct their lives, and then they fall in these areas of lack of self-control. You know, we see a lot of that being played out in the, the news in the past couple weeks, past month probably, with all these sexual harassment allegations that started in Hollywood, you know, and then it went to the political scene, and that's where it's really taken a lot of its toll. I mean, we think of uh, Roy Moore, and I, I mean, I don't know if he did what he's being accused of, then obviously he's been living a lie for a lot of years in the public life. But at the same time, what Christians need to understand is that what is acceptable to the world and those who want to go along with the world 
we can't even allow ourselves to be in the position where somebody can accuse us of something. That is the fine line that we as believers walk where we can bring shame to the name of Christ just by giving an opportunity. Whether we did something wrong or not, by opening ourselves up, by not having that controlling of the Holy Spirit, we can put ourselves in situations where we can be accused of something that we might not have done. Whereas on the other side, they could do something and have documented information. But the wickedness of this world will excuse that and attack someone who is trying to live right. We need to have self-control now more than ever. And we see this lack of destruction, or this lack of temperance, this lack of self-control playing itself out in our world, and especially in our government. I mean, we can see our government, it's obvious what is in the hearts of a lot of the people in office because of the decisions that are coming down, the lack of self-control in our spending, the lack of self-control in regards to just giving out free money to whoever wants it in order to try to buy votes. That is obvious that the hearts of the people leading us are intemperate hearts. Remember, the Apostle Peter said, or yes, the Apostle Peter said, if we have this added to our faith, this self-control, this temperance, that we will never fall. So if we don't invest in self-control, in temperance, we are sure to fall. You know, just thinking about Torin, you know, he's at that stage where he's learning no, or supposed to be learning no. Um, you know, kids, when you're trying to teach them no, this is what you say no, and they go like this, no, oh, no. Okay, reach for it again. Is that the way we are in our lives when it comes to self-control, where the Lord tells us no and we reach for it again to see whether or not he's going to discipline us again? And then we reach for it again when he tells us no again. Is that the way we are, or are we allowing the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit says no in an area, do we accept that as no and obey, or are we continually trying to push the limits of what God will allow us to do? So we need to be temperate. We need to have temperance in our lives if we're going to produce the spiritual fruit the Lord desires of us. The next investment we need to make to our spiritual portfolio of fruitfulness is patience. Now, I don't know how many times my mom told me that patience was a virtue. I still don't believe her. But, no, <laughs> patience, and I probably told the same thing to my kids, that patience is a virtue. You know, this is one of the things that the Apostle Peter puts in this uh, passage here that is critical to us building up spiritual fruit in our lives, that we must be patient, added to temperance, which was added to knowledge, which was built upon that foundation of virtue and faith, faith being our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We need to have patience if we're going to be fruitful Christians. And I will admit that my patience is not very good. I think uh, one of the areas that is most obvious is probably when I'm driving. I don't know if anybody's, I'm sure nobody knows about that. But I, I don't have much patience on the highway, and I'll admit it, and that's an area I need to work on. And I'm not doing very good at it, but anyway. <laughs> but I also have very little patience when it comes to teaching people. That's why my kids are going to the Christian school. <laughs> because we don't have very much patience. I, I know that. I can't teach somebody. It's hard for me to sit down with somebody and go over something when I know all the steps. And eventually I say, all right, just let me do it. I'll just get it done, and I'll take this on, and you don't have to worry about it because I'll do it. I don't have very much patience. But in order for us to produce spiritual fruit, we need to have patience. Now, we also don't have patience sometimes when it comes to waiting on God, waiting for God to do something as opposed to us trying to do it on ourselves. So we need to have patience in that area. Now, I don't know what your patience level is, but obviously I've told you mine isn't very good 
We need to work on patience. Now, the good news, though, is that in this instance here in 2 Peter, he's really not referring to that aspect of patience. The aspect of patience that he's referring to, the word that he's using here, really relates to steadfastness. Having that steadfastness to do what is right. Standing for God in the face of persecution. Standing for God in the face of oppression. Those people that would come to you and ask you to do something that's wrong. Having that patience, that steadfastness to know that the Lord is who we serve and that we can do his will and that he will keep us safe no matter the consequences, that he will provide for us no matter what. We, if we stand for what is right, the Lord will provide for us. That is what this word patience here is really describing. It's describing steadfastness. In the New Testament, this really describes a characteristic of a man who will not be swerved from his deliberate purpose and loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. So no matter the trial, no matter the suffering, we are going to stand strong for the Lord. We are going to be patient individuals no matter what the Lord brings into our life. And sometimes that's hard for us to do. It's hard for us to stand strong when we have these great trials coming into our life. But that aspect of patience we need to add to our life. This is the same word for patience that is used in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, which says, Wherefore we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which, all, all, which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Run with patience. Run with steadfastness. Run with this knowledge that we are going to stand for God no matter what the situation we face, whether it's personal attacks, whether it's accidents or injuries or loss of life in our family or in our close friends, whatever the situation is, we are going to stand for God. So we do, do we have this patience? How easy is it for us to have our faith get weak, to have our resolve get weak when faced with even a, 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 maybe a difficult trial or even just a minor trial? How often do we look and say, well, God, why did you do this? And, and we really start to weaken in our faith Weaken in our resolve to do what's right because of things that come into our life, no matter how minor they are. How easy is it for us that when we get challenged about our spiritual walk or our desire to live a holy life, do we give in to those who are challenging us, who are persecuting us? Do we just kind of back down as, as quietly as possible? Or do we stand strong for the Lord, stand steadfast for Him? You know, this is an area that we have to build up in our life because it doesn't come natural for us. The natural thing is for us to want to be liked, for us to want others to like us and to look upon us with favor. And that's something that we have to be steadfast. We have to have this patience that the Lord has desired of us in order to bring forth spiritual fruit for him. The natural way is the easy way, but the way of patience is difficult. The way of having this steadfastness for the Lord can be difficult. But that's why we don't want to do it in and out of our own selves. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to give us that steadfastness, to give us that patience that we can stand for Him no matter the situation. You know, this is something that we see, again, our politicians, they will say one thing and be as vehement as they can that they're going to stand on this issue when they are on the, the trail the political trail, the election trail, the campaign trail, when they are out talking to everybody and when they are making their media shots 
they are going to be as strong as as firm on an issue as they can. And then when they get into office, we instantly see them cave to the, the whims of really the world, not necessarily what is right. And, you know, it frustrates us. But we, and we take out our frustrations on our politicians a lot. But do we look at our old lives? Are we, are we the same way as our politicians? Maybe not in such, on grander scales like that. But do we give in the same as the politicians do when it comes to our personal interactions on a daily basis? I mean, that's a double standard in our own lives that we need to correct. We need to look at. We need to ask the Lord to forgive us for. And that we need to have that patience. That we will stand for God. That we will have that steadfastness. That patience to do what is right no matter what, with our inner walk with the Lord. So that was the, the second thing that we need to add today. We need to add to our temperance, patience. Now the third thing that we need to add to patience, it goes right along with patience. If we're going to be standing fast for God, if we're going to be steadfast in our walk, we need to have godliness. Godliness here literally refers to God's holiness. You know, the holiness of God is his number one aspect. God is a holy God. I just want to read some verses for you real quick. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? He is glorious in holiness, our God. Psalm 93, 5, Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. The Lord's house is becometh holy. It is holiness. Holiness becometh God's house. God's house and holiness are not separated. They are one. They are holy. God's house is a holy house. The, where God is at is holy. God is holiness. Romans 6.22, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of Godness. Without controversy, without dispute, without attack, without any sort of conflict, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. In order to have godliness, in order to have holiness, we have to be led of the Holy Spirit. And we cannot live a life pleasing to God. We cannot have this spiritual fruit invested in our lives unless we desire to live a holy life. God is a holy God. And we have been given this fruit unto holiness at the time that we trusted Jesus as our Savior. At the time that we accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were given that fruit unto holiness where we could now live a life that was pleasing to God. Live a life that was godly. That we could live out this godliness in our life now that we have been made right with God. We have been reconciled to God. We can live godly. So are we doing that? Are we living this life where we are trying to live a holy life? You know, holiness... Our godliness is not something that we determine in and of ourselves. You know, that's what we see going around in the world today, where people want to describe what is holiness and what is godliness in their own mind. And we do that so often in our own mind. We try to decide in our own mind what is right and wrong, what is holy and what is not, as opposed to looking at what God's view of holiness, what God's view of godliness is. And this is where Christians get off base. So much, especially in our current state of apathy in the church, where we have tried to redefine God's holiness into something that is a watered-down version of man's 
holiness. Well, we, we consider holiness based on man's thinking, not as opposed to how God defines holiness. And it doesn't help us, you know, in our own lives, as we try to live out a holy life, when we see so many leaders in the church, in America especially, that, that will cave on areas that we know are right, that God has clearly defined in his word as being right. And so many Christian leaders will cave on these areas. And then that just leads us open to attack. That is why, you know, they really do this to try to, instead of taking that attack and using it to glorify God and using his word, they want to get the personal praise of men. And so they will give in so they can receive this praise of men. And that is the temptation that we have. So they will take the praise of men and, and steal this glory from God. Take upon themselves as the author or the describer of what is holy and what is not. As opposed to looking to God's word for what is holy and what is right to do. What is a way to live godly. You know, recently, I'm sure we saw in the news about this, this pastor at this megachurch called Hillsong. Um, you know, he was on this, this show, The View, being interviewed about whether or not abortion was wrong. And because he didn't want to offend people, he didn't want to maybe turn off some of his, he's got a large celebrity attendance at his church. He didn't want to turn off some, some of his members. He couldn't come out and say that abortion was sinful on air. Now, later he came out and maybe made a little statement saying abortion was sinful. But when he had the chance to reach a huge audience and say, no, abortion is sinful. He took the opportunity to, to cave in this area. He couldn't live out a godly life. He couldn't live out a holy life when, when people were looking at him because he needed their approval. And when we are looking at approval of men, when we are looking for men's approval, we are not going to live a holy life according to as God has directed us, according to God's holiness. We're not going to live this godly life as God has laid out for us in the Scripture. So I'm thankful you know, for our pastor. He has given us many examples of times that he has lived out a godly life even with attack. I'm sure we don't know of all the attacks that pastor has had in his life where people have tried to get him to change his standards in this church and change his standards in his family. And you know, we need more Christian leaders, more spiritual leaders like pastor that would stand for godliness, stand for holiness. And we need to do that in our own lives as well. You know, it's not just for pastors and spiritual leaders to stand for godliness. We need to take that stand in our daily life as well. And I know that there's probably many areas that I've compromised in my own life, in different situations where I have not lived out a godly life as I should, and I'm sure we all have. We need to be diligent to invest in this area where we are going to desire to live out a godly life, a holy life, according to God's standard of holiness and godliness, not according to our own. You know, this is not fake godliness that we're talking about here in the scripture. This is not what Peter is calling out either. You know, we see a lot about, in, in a lot of fundamental circles, this fake godliness is what I'm going to call it, where, where people live up to a standard that they have set for themselves as being godly, and then they want others to live up this standard. And when others don't live up to this standard, they look on them as a lower class citizen. You know, that is just as wrong as the people who are in the world, who have no understanding of right living, doing what is natural for them to do. You know, we got to have that understanding that we need to live out a godly life and we need to have our ideas of holiness and godliness come from the scripture and not from our thinking. Because anytime we're coming from our thinking, then we are not right. We are not correct according to God in his holiness. Paul explains to Timothy that those who are truly godly will be different 
from those who aren't. And one of the aspects that defines those who are truly living out their godliness, who have added to their patience godliness, is it, it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution or shall suffer persecution. And that's one of the areas that tells us whether or not we are living a truly godly life is if we are receiving persecution for us living out our faith, living out our life. If we're not receiving persecution, then we need to look at our, our life and say, or am I truly living a godly life? Am I putting into my life those things that will lead me to godliness and holiness? Or am I living in my own standards of godliness and holiness? First Timothy also, in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 3 through 6 says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud and knowing nothing. So if you don't want to listen to the words of Christ, if you don't want to give in to the words of Christ, you're not living out godliness. You are proud, really knowing nothing. And we see you know, people in the world trying to twist what Jesus has said and say, oh, Jesus approves of this situation because of, he said, in this area, in this aspect. You know, taking the words of Christ and twisting them. No, that is not true godliness. Godliness is understanding what the Lord said. And doing that, fulfilling his doctrine, which is according to godliness. If we don't do that, if we don't understand the words of Christ, if we don't understand the teachings of the scripture, and we're not willing to obey them, we are proud and doing nothing. But doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. And how much do we see in our world that we look up to those spiritual leaders who are can I say filthy rich? Filthy rich? We look up, a lot of the people are attracted to those people that are filthy rich and look at them as being great spiritual leaders, supposing that gain is godliness. But gain is not godliness. Temporal wealth is not godliness. Spiritual riches are different from physical monetary gain. And just because somebody has a lot of money doesn't mean they're godly even if they are preaching in a church. I'll just put it that way. Preaching in a church. From such, and I'll continue in the verse. I don't want, verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we have a holy life, we will be content as well. And then we will have great gain, both on the earth and also for eternity. So where are we in our godliness? Where are we in our love? Not necessarily love, but where are we desire that even if persecution were to come, we would stand for what is true and what is right according to the word of God? And then where are we in our contentment level as opposed to our life, as compared to our life on this earth? Where are we at being content? Are we discontent with our situation? Are we discontent with the way the world is around us? Are we discontent with all the things that may be happening to us? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, did Jesus compromise when he was faced with the ridicule and contempt that he was addressed with all the time? Did the apostles, not prior to the crucifixion, but after the crucifixion, did they do the same? I mean, they were willing to stand for God no matter what the persecution was that came into their life. 
Now, was Jesus discontent when he was on this earth? Or did Jesus live out an example of contentment for us that we need to follow? Jesus was content with his life on this earth. He was content with his death on the cross, if that was the Lord's will. You know, he was even content with the fact that he came to this world to save sinners. You know, a holy God putting himself in a position where he interacted with the worst that we would consider the worst of the world at that time. And not only did he have to deal with that, then on the other side he had to deal with those who claimed to be religious, claimed to be doing what was right, but really were hypocrites of all shapes and sizes. But the Lord Jesus was content to come to this earth so that he could save us all from our sins. So our investment in holiness and godliness is evident in these two ways. Are we willing to suffer persecution in order to live a life pleasing to God? And then are we content in all things, whether in good times or bad? So are we invested in this aspect of godliness? Do we have godliness? Now I know we don't have time to go into it. I mean, we could, we could exhaust this subject. We could spend weeks and weeks on this. We don't have that time. But we know that godliness is defined by the Scripture, by the doctrine of God in His Word. So are we willing to live out what God has given to us in His Word, whether the persecution comes or the trials come, no matter what, are we content in whatever God brings into our life? So just to recap, are we invested? Have we invested in our spiritual portfolio temperance or self-control? Or, we do, or do we allow our fleshly desires to control us, our sensual appetites, rather than, being, rather than walking in the Holy Spirit? Are we patient? Do we wait on God? Are we steadfast in our desire to walk with God and to live a holy life? Or do we waver in our convictions and our desire to please God? Do we compromise often in our walk with the Lord? Are we steadfast for Him? And then... Have we added to these things godliness, which is holiness and Christ-likeness, which, combined with contentment, is great gain? Or do we continue to invest in these temporal riches on this earth, the, invest in the temporal feelings of the people we come in contact with, as opposed to investing in spiritual riches for all eternity? So let's make sure that we add these three things to our spiritual portfolio of fruitfulness. Let's pray. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.